Sabina Wormbrand was persecuted for her faith in communist Romania. Dale Roton remembers meeting Mrs. Wormbrand and what she had to say about Christian unity. I said, yes, uh, we should have a unity, but sometimes we're not united the way we should be. And she cut me off right there and she said, that's true, but the Christian unity is different, basically different from any other unity. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Uh, It's a special privilege today to have in our studio here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Dale Rotan. Uh, Dale is one of the founders of the great mission organization, Operation Mobilization, uh, along with George Verwer. Uh, In fact, as the stories are told, Dale was on George Verwer's very first mission trip uh, way back decades ago that helped sort of launch that ministry and has launched uh, literally hundreds of others, hundreds of gospel workers out across the world. Dale, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Well, thank you very much. It's a privilege for me to be here. One of the ways that OM, Operation Mobilization, got started was through prayer. Uh, And I'd like you to share with our listeners a little bit about those early days and how you prayed, because I think there's, there's such a foundation that comes through prayer, and I'd like them to hear what really is the foundation of OM. George Verwer and I were at the same college in Tennessee, and uh, we would get together from time to time and have prayer. And very often our prayers would focus on the unreached peoples, the Muslim countries, communism facing a different sort of threat, India. And so uh, George and I, we would get together and and we would pray. and, And then as we began to invite other people to come to our prayer meetings, we would get maps of the world and put the maps on the floor and huddle around the maps and pray for countries like Turkey, like Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, places of that nature. You know, it's interesting that you talk about maps because every year the Voice of the Martyrs sends out a prayer map specifically for that purpose to, hey, put this on your wall. We want you to pray for these countries. I know some of those prayer meetings went all night long. There, there wasn't a, a stop time. It was just, we're going to pray. Do you see that same kind of passion in the church today, that people are, are praying for the nations and they're praying through the night, they're, they're passionately praying that God will reach the nations? Do you see that in the American church today? I think most American churches that you would visit, you wouldn't find that so much. But there are places where where God has called people together and they are praying and especially focused on some of these, like the Muslim countries, places that uh, don't have such a Christian witness like we have in the West. But it's very easy for us in the West to just be lulled to sleep. We don't have to worry so much about persecution for ourselves, but uh, we can very easily uh, neglect uh, the the prayer that, that God has invested in his church. How would you advise somebody who's maybe listening and says, hey, I want to be a prayer warrior for the nations? How would you advise them 
to kind of start down that path? You know, find one other person. That's what George did at college. Uh, he came to myself and also his roommate. So he just focused on a couple of us, mentioned the possibility to others as well. And if they respond, great. If they don't, well, uh, just take, you, you know, the Lord said where two or three yeah. are gathered in yeah. my name. And I often think of that because in most prayer meetings that I guess I've been in, they've been really small, actually, even large churches that have thousands of members very often, you know, it's just a handful that show up for the, uh, for the prayer. But I always mention this, think what an almighty God can do with just a few prayers. Amen. And one of those prayer meetings actually helped propel you into the Middle East and into ministry over there. Can you share that story? Yes, I remember the prayer meeting very well. It was getting late. It was past midnight. I was sort of in and out of uh, <laughs> sleepiness. And then I heard George give a prayer request. He said, pray for Dale. God is calling him to Turkey, but he doesn't know it yet. <laughs> so that got me thinking, well, you know, maybe I should give some consideration to this. And it wasn't too long after that, that my wife-to-be and I decided, you know, the Lord is calling us to Turkey. And, and we thought it's going to be Turkey for life. So we waited until we got married to marry in Istanbul, Turkey. But after we were in Turkey two or three years, the Turkish police told us that it was not God's will for us to stay the rest of our <laughs> life. And so they wouldn't renew our visa. So then we went to Lebanon for a period of time. But while we were in Lebanon, I spent probably just as much of that time in Turkey. And we've had uh, teams, OM teams, and teams from other missions as well that have come to Turkey. So we thank the Lord for that. Still the number of believers, very small. But I encourage people that God is doing a lot more in some of these countries than you give him credit for. And one example is I don't know how many people I've talked with who work among Muslims, and all of them testify that they have uh, talked with Muslims who claim to have had a dream of Jesus. And so God is at work. We're planting the seed. We're praying you know, it may, may take years, may take decades, but I just say, keep, keep praying, keep trusting, and, and the Lord is certainly doing his work. You know, Turkey is one of my very favorite countries in the world. I love the city of Istanbul. I've had the chance to visit there. And uh, how, how do you see it different now in the Middle East from, you know, this, the late 60s and early 70s when you were living there? Is it more open? Is it uh, politically, but also spiritually? How do you see it as being different now? You know, a number of our uh, co-workers in Turkey are very uh, zealous, and they get out on the streets, they go to the beaches, and they, they share the gospel. Sometimes they are arrested, sometimes not. And uh, we have one co-worker that, that has been kicked out a, a few times, but he's even sought legal advice, and he's able to stay on there. So there, there is a, a lot of freedom. When we lived in Turkey, we, were, we took a very open and honest approach with the Turkish police and told them why we were there. We were there because we wanted to tell people about Jesus. And usually they said, well, that's okay. Just don't distribute any literature, you know, and certain things that would curtail uh, what we were doing. But th there is a, a degree of freedom and let's use the freedom that we have. At some point, as you transitioned out of Turkey, you began to 
visit the communist bloc nations behind the Iron Curtain and encounter Christians who were living there under persecution. Many had been to prison. All of them knew they could be sent to prison. How did that challenge your faith or how did that affect the way you walked with Christ? Yeah, we, we saw here we have our main mission center in Operation Mobilization is Western Europe. Our main target is the Muslim world. Now, when you go from Western Europe to the Muslim world and from the Muslim world to Western Europe, you pass through communist countries. And we had the the ability to make secret compartments in our vehicles and we could take in a couple thousand Bibles at one time. And so we began this ministry of smuggling uh, literature into the Iron Curtain countries. I remember at the very beginning of it, I had a question about it. Is it right to smuggle? Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's... It's a, it's a valid question. It's breaking the law, and, you know, what should we do about it? And so what I did is I read the whole Bible through with the question, is it right for me to smuggle or not? And I came to the conclusion after reading the whole Bible that it would be wrong for me not to do that because here I have the power to do something good, And it was just in God's sovereignty having these literally hundreds of young people going back and forth, Middle East, Western Europe. And and then we the Lord sent us some real geniuses, carpenters, welders, engineers, all sorts of people. So it just fit together. And um, and I remember asking people behind the Iron Curtain, what do you think? Is it right for us to smuggle? And I remember one man, when I asked him that question, he says, you know, the fact that you asked that question shows you're an American. And I said, uh, why, why do you say that? And he said, well, Americans think the police are enforcing the law. Here, we don't think anybody's enforcing the law. They're, they're going against Christianity and against the church. And, uh, but that was sort of typical of their response. And they, of course, encouraged us. Mm-hmm. I also asked this question a number of times. Is it right for us to put your life in jeopardy? Because I did not... I did not fear anything myself. I thought, you know, if they catch an American who is trying to smuggle, they'll probably confiscate what they can confiscate and put me on a train going back home. But we asked the local believers, what about you? You know, if, if you get caught, you're not going to be exported out of the country. Right. And, you're uh, in trouble. You're and, going to jail. And their answer was, we, we don't want you to rob us the opportunity to suffer for our Lord. And so they were, they were ready. They knew the consequences. They had friends that had been in prison, and uh, they, they were ready to, ready to really to go. go for it. I love that as you shared that story, you talked about the importance of uh, carpenters and welders and engineers. Mm-hmm. I think there are some people who are probably listening who say, you know what, you know, I'd love to be a missionary, but I'm not an evangelist. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not me at all. I just don't have gifts in that area. Sorry, I can't be involved. But you're sharing that, hey, the guys who welded those secret compartments and designed mm-hmm. those, that was a key part of the ministry. Absolutely. And not only in smuggling, but in many other valid works of God, the practical worker is highly esteemed. And you see that in the Old Testament as well, the people that could do things with their hands. They were highly esteemed. That's not second-class citizen. That's first-class and we need it. And as we go now to the closed nations, uh, if you're a pastor, they don't want you to come. They won't let you in. Uh, however, mm-hmm. if you've got a skill, if you're a teacher, if you have uh, right. some of those skills, hey, the door's open. Come on in. 
Absolutely. Yes, we, we need people with practical skills. You think in so many countries, just simply the ability to be able to teach English is an entree and gets in. And, and then, of course, while doing that, you can share your faith as well. As you began to encounter those Christians in the communist countries, did they did they talk openly about their suffering, about times in prison, or was that did they just kind of not talk about it? They were ready to talk. Uh, at least many of them were. They were ready to share what had happened. They they trusted us. They they believed that we certainly were Christians coming from the West to try to encourage and minister to them. As you drove into these countries and you had Bibles, you know, stashed in secret compartments, and when you went across those borders, did your heart rate speed up? Did you feel like, you know, this is really exciting, scary stuff? You know, I didn't really fear so much uh, fear itself. I I thought, you know, the worst thing they do to me is just send me back to the West. But we were, of course, very concerned for the people we were visiting and took every precaution so they wouldn't be linked. We would park, you know, a long ways away and and take whatever precautions we thought were necessary because we didn't want to bring them into jeopardy. And I know one of the stories you shared earlier was uh, you got stuck in a barn <laughs> because yes. of that. Share that yeah. story. Well, we're always looking for secret places where we can unload our vehicles, where, you know, the police won't stumble upon us and find out what we're doing. And, of course, one of the best locations is a farm way out in the middle of nowhere. And we found such a place, and we drove into the barn, and we unloaded all the Bibles and everything. And then it was time to to drive back out of the barn, but we couldn't because since we had unloaded hundreds of Bibles, the van set much higher than it did before that. <laughs> and so uh, we, we needed to do something. So we, how in the world are we going to get this out that we don't have to put the Bibles back in? So what we did is we went back in the farmhouse and uh, we, we told the family there, we said, you know, before we drive off, what we would like to do is all of us get together for a time of prayer in our van. And uh, we especially appreciate it if grandmother could come with us. Grandmother was a woman of some substance. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, grandmother, you know, she's not that well, and it's a little difficult for her to get out there. And we said, listen, you know, we have a couple of strong men, and they can help her, you know, get out there. And they saw we really wanted her there. <laughs> so we all got together and prayed, and as we were praying, we backed the, the van out. <laughs> You're listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we're speaking with Dale Rotan. He is one of the co-founders of Operation Mobilization. Uh, Dale, along the way, as you're traveling through those communist countries, uh, you met a man who most of our listeners will be familiar with, Richard Wormbrand, the man who founded Voice of the Martyrs. Tell us about that, that first time you encountered Richard. This was 1964, and we were... Uh, five of us, five of us OMers. I was 26 years of age, and I think the others were younger, except for one man by the name of Ray. He today is in his 80s. So we said, well, uh, what we want to do, it's time for us to drive from from the Middle East to to Europe. And, uh, and then we heard that Richard Wimbrand had been released from prison. We said, well, it will not take us too much out of the way if we go by way of Bucharest. 
And uh, so we went to Bucharest, and we told some believers there that we had known before. We said, you know, we understand that uh, this pastor, Richard Wimbrod, he's just been released from prison. We would like to visit him. And they said, well, well, we don't think that's a good idea. It might not be good for him. He's just out of prison, and then to receive visitors from the West may not be good. And we said, we respect that. But could you just even ask him if, if he would? And then he, he assented. He wanted to meet us. And we came, and we were together. Well, there were five of us, uh, total 10 to 15 people in the living room. And uh, I was looking around the room trying to figure out who has just been released from 14 years in prison. And I didn't see anybody that looked like they'd been released 14 years in prison. So I asked the young man on my left, I said, uh, tell me, who is the person that's just been released from prison for 14 years? And he pointed to a man over in the corner, and I said, yeah, and I looked at him, and he was shining. His face was aglow, and, and he just seemed to have a happiness about him, a peace. And uh, I thought, my, you know, he doesn't look to me like he's uh, uh, been 14 years in prison. So then I asked the young man again. I said, uh, how do you know? that he was in prison 14 years. And he said, that's my father. And so I thought, wow, I guess you I guess you, <laughs> I guess you can vouch for the fact that he was yeah. in prison. What was it about Richard that enabled him to come through 14 years of prison and still have that sense of joy, have that glow about him? Do you have any, any kind of hints of, of how he seemed to be so unscathed after so much suffering? Total commitment to Jesus Christ, more than counting all the pain and suffering, he was counting his blessing. Uh, just a, an, an amazing person. And, and here he is. He's, he's just out of prison after 14 years. And, and what does he talk about? He talks about wanting to go to Paris and get up in the nightclubs and preach the gospel in the nightclubs. He talks about going to Israel to the Knesset. And he would like to stand in, uh, before the, the Knesset and preach the gospel. And he wanted to have somebody go with him who could hold the people off so he can preach the gospel. <laughs> and I think, man, this is, these are not the words of someone who's just released from, from those years in prison. Our, we, one of our group, uh, OMers, was a man by the name of Ray Lynch. And Ray had worked in Israel and uh, Pastor Wimbrand said, is there someone in Israel who would help me with what I want to do? And Ray said, oh, yeah, there are a number of real fine believers in Israel. And Pastor Wimbrand said, no, you don't answer me until uh, I tell you what I want to do. And, and then he told him, I want to get up in the Knesset and preach the gospel. And then our man, Ray Lynch, uh, said to him, said, you know, they'll put you in prison for that. And without missing a beat, Pastor Wimbrand said, yes, I get two years so here's a man. He's just released from 14 years in prison. What's he doing? He's thinking about how he can get back in prison. <laughs> and so this was just a totally different breed. But it's interesting that he was a person who counted the cost. I think of even, you know, when, when they offered men to help, he said, wait, wait, wait. Don't say you'll help until you know what it's going to cost you. Right. Uh, yes. And when you talked about prison, oh, yeah, two years. He knew what the prison yes. sentence was. Yes, and I think there's a lesson for all mm. of us in that, just the fact that this is a guy who counted the cost, and he mm. decided it's worth it. It's mm. worth it to preach the gospel. If I go to prison for two years, well, hey, it's only two years. <laughs> you know, it's a, 
like you say, it's a very different mindset from what most of us go into a trip with. You know, the whole field of suffering is a, is a great challenge, isn't it? Why does God allow so much suffering? I saw something recently by Archbishop Tutu. He said he th that God thought it was worth producing a St. Francis of Assisi. And then he listed a number of other people who were martyred for their faith. It was worth producing these to allow the suffering in the world. And I often think when we get to heaven, I can just imagine I'm out on some beach really enjoying a nice little swim. And then I look down the beach and I see two men walking together. And I get out my binoculars and I look, I say, that's Jesus and Richard Wurmbrand taking a walk. And that walk will mean infinitely more than if Richard Wurmbrand had been spared all of that suffering. God brought forth in, in the body and soul of Richard Wurmbrand something that could only come through suffering. Dale Rotan from Operation Mobilization, when you look back on the life of Richard Wormbrand and somebody you knew, you encountered, you fellowshiped with, what inspires you the most about the way he lived his life? Just the total commitment to Jesus Christ, to, to know this, this is the truth. Jesus said, I'm the truth, the way, the life. And uh, that, that we know this, and then just total commitment, whatever that may mean. He knew. He could have avoided prison altogether. And then once he was in prison, he could have certainly gotten shortened a lot. But uh, there was no if in his life. He was just like the arrow shot from the bow, and it's going to reach the target no matter what you do. You were in, in their apartment, and... Yeah. and had a chance to visit with them. Tell me a little bit about Sabina because I, you know, one of the things I tell people is there is no Richard without Sabina. They, yeah. they were a matched set. Uh, so tell me a little bit about her personality and her role in standing with him and beside mm -hmm. him through all of this. They visited us in Austria. I don't remember what year it was. But I remember we had devotions together. I, I think Mrs. Wurmbrandt must have been the one leading the devotions. And um, she mentioned in, in the devotional time that Christians have a, a unity. We Christians, we have a unity. And I remember mentioning to her, I said, yes, uh, we should have a unity, but sometimes we're not united the way we should be. And she cut me off right there, and she said, that's true, but the Christian unity is different, basically different from any other unity. She said, it's true, we're not perfect, we make mistakes, we hurt one another, but still, all of that said and done, there is something special about Christian unity, and I've never forgotten that. And she's absolutely right. I think of so many believers that I know from literally around the world uh, where you, you would honestly say, yeah, of course, they make mistakes. There's no doubt about that. But, but there is something very precious there that cannot be uh, repeated. We've been hearing today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio from Dale Roton, one of the founders of Operation Mobilization. And as I've traveled around the world, I've noticed the same thing that he's just been talking about. You know, that quote from Sabina Wormbrand, Christian unity is different. And that is so true. 
Just last month, I was sitting in a tent in northern Iraq with a displaced Christian from the city of Mosul, and I felt that sense of unity that, hey, this is my brother, his wife, this is my sister. We're together. We're family. I've experienced that same thing in China, in Eritrea, in Pakistan, and even here in the United States. One of the places I experience it here is at a Voice of the Martyrs conference. We come together as people who love Jesus and care about persecuted Christians, and there's that incredible sense of unity that's different from what we experience in in other places, in other parts of our lives. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a part of that family too. You're a part of that unity, that togetherness, and you have an opportunity to stand in unity with our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. You know, maybe you hear the stories every week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and you wonder, well, what could I do? You know, that person lives in Iraq. That person lives 10,000 miles from here. How could I possibly make a difference for them? Of course, we want you to start out by praying for them, and we try to talk about that consistently and equip you to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. But you can also be a part of the answer to your own prayers. Do you know that? You know, you pray that the Lord will encourage some of these believers around the world. You can be a part of the answer to that. You can be a part of giving them encouragement. One of the ways that we do that here at The Voice of the Martyrs is through the Action Pack program. Currently, we're delivering Action Packs in Pakistan, in Iraq, in Sudan. Uh, Twice in the last 18 months, I've been to Iraq. This is a place where we have delivered literally thousands of Action Packs to displaced Christians who have been forced out of their homes by ISIS. And, you know, the action pack is a blessing to them in a material sense because it gives them some clothing items, maybe some soap, maybe a towel, maybe a blanket. Those are important, but even more important than the physical material gift that they're given is the sense of connection, that unity that Sabina Wormbrand talked about that, hey, You know, you've been displaced from your home, you've been kicked out of your city, but you're not alone. You're a part of the body of Christ. There's brothers and sisters around the world that care about you, that want to stand with you. Here's how the Action Pack program works. And if you want to find out more, you can go to vomradio.net. If you click on the Get Involved tab at the top of the page, one of the sections under that is Action Packs. Just click on that and it will explain the program You send us $7, we send you a pre-printed vacuum seal plastic bag along with a list of items that can go in that bag. These are things like a blanket, a jacket or a windbreaker, a sweater, some socks, a t-shirt, a bed sheet, a towel, a bar of soap, just basic things that you probably have in your house right now. If you want, you can also add a note to the Christian who will receive that or even a picture of your family. Hey, this is the family of Christians that provided this pack for you. We'll make sure that your action pack gets to the place where it's needed. You send it back to us. We will deliver it overseas. Also, when we give out an action pack, we give a Bible with it. So every action pack is delivered along with a copy of God's Word. This is a great way for you to get involved, for your children to be involved, maybe your Sunday school class or your church group. Go to vomradio.net. At the top of the page, put your mouse over the Get Involved tab and then click on Action Packs. Imagine that you spent 14 years in prison because someone you knew who was a friend to you had betrayed you. How would you feel about that prison experience and how would you feel about that person that betrayed you? 
Next week, Dale Roton will be back with us to tell us what happened when his friend Richard Wormbrand came across the man who had betrayed him and sent him to prison. And as we were walking, we saw a man on the opposite side of the street crossing over the street coming. And then he and Richard embraced and kissed in Romanian style. And then he introduced me to him and him to me. And we walked away and I said to Pastor Fumbrand, I said, you know, that's interesting. His name is the same name as the man who betrayed you. I hope you'll be back with us next week here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.